For basically the past decade or so, that the number of people who engage the Bible at least a couple, three to four times per year, uh, has kind of stayed steady for about a decade, so up until 2021. Stayed around about 50% of the U.S. population would say that they read their Bible about three to four times, at least three to four times a year. I know for us, and I hope that for us, all of us collectively, that is concerning. Three to four times in a year is not very much time in God's Word. But from their statistics, that's what they would say is um, what the average has been for about a decade. But in 2022's report on the state of, um, which would have been done about in April of this past year, in 2022, it was the first time they'd seen significant decline. The report said that um, it almost dropped about 11 percentage points, which if you do any kind of statistics, that's a significant drop, dropping to under 40% of Americans even look at Scripture a few times in a year. Um, so far that it says currently only 10% of Americans report daily Bible reading. Let that sink in for a second. 10%. 10% of Americans report daily Bible reading, and and that doesn't necessarily mean exactly, and what they even meant in that report was it wasn't literally like every single day, but basically about every day, only 10%. And I believe this correlates very significantly with Pew Research's center and their finding that about a third of regular church goers have not returned to in-person worship gatherings since COVID-19. A third of churchgoers. I find that to be true as I meet people and I talk to them. I, all, the, the main response, the most common response that I get when I'm engaging someone in conversation about their spiritual life and, and then, hey, do you go to church anywhere? Those kind of questions. Oftentimes, this is the answer I get, is I used to go to blank, usually 12 stone, but <laughs> normally, the, but normally, seriously, the, the, when I ask that question, oftentimes it's, I used to go to a church more than more common than not probably i would say probably argue about 75 to 80 percent of the time when i have a conversation with someone that's the answer i get i used to go to oftentimes we get to we hear those things so i would i would argue that not the state of the bible itself but the state of our culture's response to the bible has drastically changed since covid19 in, in 2020 and 2021 the effects on our society is clear. We see people and their view of truth is very, um, it, it wanes significantly. It's, your truth is, can be your, true for you and my truth, and they, they even use that phrase, my truth. There's not a standard by which we measure truth. I, I've always appreciated Josh McDowell, especially because I worked with teenagers for so long. He did a lot of campus ministry, Campus Crusade, Crusades for Christ, all those things. Campus Crusade for, uh, ministry, his son, Sean McDowell as well, has done a lot of work in what we call apologetics. Kind of a big word, basically meaning a defending of your faith. And so a lot of help in, in understanding the validity of Scripture, that, hey, Josh McDowell's done a ton of work on the New Testament and saying, like, do we have exactly what was written? And he would argue that the evidence, he wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, this is a massive book, it was all of this research. While he was not a believer, uh, this led him to salvation as he is pursuing this, trying to prove that 
Christianity is fake and it's false and, and, the, and these documents are ancient and they're not accurate. And as he did all this research, it came to realize that it was very accurate and that with basically 99.9% accuracy, he would argue that what was written down in the New Testament, when Paul is penning uh, the, the letters to the churches or when the Luke is writing the gospel of Luke and Matthew and Mark and these that we look at, they're writing exactly what um, was said and that we have tr- that has been tr- passed down very clearly through all the manuscripts. And you could do a ton of work. There's a lot of research. Uh, feel free to read that on your own. That's not what I'm going to spend our time on this morning. But I would argue, though, that most people in our culture, it's, it's truth is relative. And Josh McDowell, I remember him sharing this one time when I heard him speak, and um, he was asking people, like, okay, like, how do we know, like, if I said my Bible weighs four pounds, and you're like, no, my Bible, and one of you argues and says, no, 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 your Bible, I've felt it before, your Bible weighs seven pounds. How, how can we determine who is right and wrong? We, I could say, no, no, it's my Bible, so I know how much it weighs. And you'd be like, no, I felt it, and I know weights and measures. And, you would argue, and we could argue, but eventually, what are we going to do? We're going to put it on a scale, and we're going to decide, what, how much does this thing actually weigh? Well, how is that determined? Well, actually, there was, there's a, a place over, I think in Switzerland, as he says, that is the place of weights and measurements, and those are the standard by which we even make the different scales and different things we use. There's a standard to tell us this is five pounds or three pounds or what, I don't know, I've never weighed it, so I have no idea. It's pretty heavy, though. <laughs> um, But we would go to a scale to determine exactly the standard by which we could know who is right and wrong. Scripture, we would argue, and I would argue, and what we're going to look at this morning in 2 Timothy 3, is it is the standard. It is truth. But what gives it this kind of truth, and what what gives it this kind of authority? And I believe that Paul, as, as Timothy, as Paul is writing this pastoral letter to Timothy, he would argue and, and proclaim that a God's Word, it is actually God's Word. It's not just ancient scriptures. It's not just uh, myths or story or history uh, or some, some commandments. No, it is actually, in fact, God's breathed Word. And so I want us to treat it that way. This is God's Word. This is why I preach. This is my calling in life is to preach God's Word. Word. And so I want to encourage you this morning to read it, to, to lavish yourself in it, to, uh, to dive into God's Word this year. This is a brand new day. I mean, listen, literally today is January 1st. Oftentimes people start a new Bible reading plan or try to start new habits around this time of year. I want to encourage you to do that, and I want to tell you why and how we uh, can grow. A couple of things I did want to mention before um, we really get going too far is um, I'm going to spend basically the next month in uh, a series we're calling uh, How We Grow. And so the next two weeks we're going to talk about scripture and Bible reading and it's how, and re- next week really practically how and what that even looks like and give you some real practical steps for getting the most out of um, your Bible reading. But one book that I would really encourage you to read, especially around this time of year, uh, as we start a new year and a new season of life, and as you're trying to begin maybe some new habits, set some goals for yourself, um, this is an excellent resource. It's called Habits of Grace by David Mathis. 
Um, excellent resource. We have this out in the lobby uh, for purchase, so feel free uh, to grab a copy. You can try to get it on Amazon as well if you want. I'm pretty confident it'll be cheaper out there because um, uh, we try to sell them significantly less than cost. So, um, but if you do find it elsewhere, someone let me know and we can lower our price as well. But, um, but I would encourage you um, to pick up a copy of this and, and read it and let that help establish some healthy, good habits. But I love the title, Habits of Grace. Easy how we can turn disciplines, spiritual disciplines and habits into legalism and just doing things without the concept of grace behind it. So I would encourage that uh, to you. But if you have a Bible, let's look at this together. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And, or chapter 3, starting in verse um, 14. As we look at the end of this pastoral, this is a, again, this is a pastoral epistle. What that means basically is Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy, who is a pastor of this congregation, and he is encouraging him, he's equipping him, and he's challenging him as well. And so here, if you have a Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, uh, starting in verse 14, he says, But as for you, so he's talking specifically to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then maybe common verses to some. I would encourage you to memorize these, these verses here in verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As Timothy is hearing these words, he's encouraged. But I want you to notice a couple things as we're kind of walking uh, through this passage together. And, and one is this, and I, w- I would love for you, I would encourage you to, to write this down and, and to really encourage you not just to write this down, but to put this into practice in your life. Uh, there, we have a lot of young families in our church, uh, s- uh, many who are just starting out in parenthood and you just having children and beginning to have that process or you're on the way, have a child on the way, all those things. But I would encourage you with this, and we see it even in these few verses right here, is, and is this, we should be filling our homes with Scripture. We should be filling our homes with Scripture. Our homes should be full of Scripture. And what I don't mean is like have a bunch of copies of the Bible laying in every room so that just in case you sit at this couch, there's a, hey, there's a Bible right there, reminder, read it. No, I don't mean we put a bunch of copies of God's Word in our home. I mean that our, our, our home should be the place where Scripture is cultivated in the hearts of our children. Look at what Paul points out, and you can actually see this at the beginning of, of chapter 1 in, in 2 Timothy. But he says this, look what he says in verse 14 again. But as for you, continue in what? In what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it. You see, Paul knows who he's learned it from because if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he says this. Or, 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 sorry, I said 1 Timothy, and I turned too far. 2 Timothy verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 5. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Notice what he says. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother mother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. You see the passing down of faith from grandmother 
And notice that he doesn't even mention the father figure in this, in this situation. Maybe for some, you know, you know the, the, the father figure isn't stepping up in this area. I mean, and I would encourage you as men in homes together, like, listen, lead this well in your home. Lead Bible reading, re, like, lead in family devotions, lead in these areas. But here we see, in this, in this case, his grandmother is mentioned, and his mom is mentioned as passing down this faith in Christ, and hearing the sacred writings, as he said back in our passage in verse 14. You see, it's passed down. This goes back to Israel's history. If you turn to Deuteronomy 6, you don't have to now, but I would encourage you, that's where the Shema is given, where the people, the people of God, the Israelites, would proclaim the Lord, the Lord, our God is one, and that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And that became like the first and greatest commandment, as Jesus would say later in Matthew. But even in these verses, what, what continues in Deuteronomy 6 is, here's the call of Israel and Moses as he's proclaiming to the people. He's saying, listen, you're to pass this down to your kids. You're to talk about it on your walks on the road. You're to have it on your doorposts. You're to have it everywhere in your house to tell people and tell your, specifically your children and your family the love of God. Listen, our homes, we should, as, as parents, this is our primary responsibility is to disciple and to train and to help our kids and our children and our spouses to love and crave God's Word. I think most of you know by this point, just by my illustration stuff, I love sports. Um, I watched way too much sports yesterday, uh, as probably a lot of you did as well, and I'll watch a good bit more today. Uh, my Panthers play today. They're playing Tom Brady and the Bucks, and if they can win this game, they're on their path to winning the division somehow with their terrible record. It's a bad division. I heard the Falcons are already out of it, so sorry. if you Actually, I don't think anyone really cares about the Falcons ever when I talk to them, so it doesn't really matter. So um, it's like Georgia football. That's all we care about. Um, go dogs. Yeah, but <laughs> I love sports. I do. I love sports. I played it. I played it my whole life. I ended up playing baseball, football, all the kind. Of, I mean, I played anything, anything with a ball, anything with uh, like any type of sport, like I, golf, all those things. I love it. And I love watching my kids. My kids, both, especially Colson, my old, our oldest, he loves sports as well. He's very much like me. Levi does too, but then he kind of gets distracted pretty easily. And he's like, all right, next. What's next? That's going to be more fun than throwing a baseball. But Colson and I, we can connect on that level. And I, I've, I've taught him. I've trained him how to hit a baseball. I've trained him how to, to catch a ball and to throw and to play basketball. He's already better than I was at basketball at his age, definitely than I ever would, I ever I am today. He's a, he's a really good basketball player. I can teach him all these things, and I'm prone to do those things because I love sports. But listen, it would be absolutely unfathomable to think that if my son, the only thing that he learns from his dad is how to hit a baseball and to shoot a basketball. Like, I will have failed him miserably and my children miserably if that's all that I teach them. I, my responsibility as a father is to teach my children God's Word. He needs to know how to wield God's Word and, and how to read it and understand it. And my daughter and my children, my, my, my Amanda, my wife, I want them to be able to understand Scripture, to apply it. And this is our responsibility, and this is what he's saying. He's saying, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Why? 
Why is God's word so important? I mean, I get it. We're saying, okay, it's the Bible, and we're, we're even making, I'm making the claim currently, and that's what I'm saying is it's actually God's word. But why is it so important? Why is it essential? Why can I not just focus my attention on my kids and them getting a great education so they can get into an Ivy school and they could become a lawyer or a, a, a great business person or they can go impact the world? Why would I not put my focus mostly there? Look what it says about God's Word in verse 15. And now from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Again, this would be the Old Testament. Mostly the Old Testament for Timothy. But the Old Testament was pointing to the Messiah. It was pointing to Christ. All of Scripture is inspired by God. It comes from God. And notice what he says. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, God's word is what we need for salvation. In Romans 10, 17, I encourage you to memorize this as well. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes what? Through the word of Christ. How does someone have faith in Christ? How do they put their faith in Christ? It comes through the word of God exposed to them and um, revealed to them through the power of the spirit of God. I love the story in Acts of the Ethiopian eunuch as he's riding, he's riding down the road. He does not know who Jesus is. He's not heard of the resurrection. This is, again, Acts is written after the resurrection, so Jesus already ascended it back into heaven. Here's this man. He's, he has a scroll. He has God's Word in front of him, but he doesn't understand it, but he has God's Word. And he's reading it, and then what does God do? He sends in His Spirit and His wisdom And how he works, he brings Philip to him to explain the scriptures to him so that he could put his faith in Jesus. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And what immediately he goes and he's baptized. You see, we need the scriptures. We need God's word because God's word leads us to saving faith in Christ alone. The only way we can understand who God is fully is through his word. He has revealed himself. So we call it divine revelation. God revealing himself to us. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. The Word of God, God revealing Himself to us, is the only way for us to be saved. We must know Christ and put our faith in Him. How can we? Through the illuminating work of the Spirit as we read Scriptures. You see, this is why we should be reading. But here's the question. Our title of our message today is, how do we grow? And specifically, we're talking about Bible reading. And so, how can we grow? I want you to see this in verse 16 and 17. Listen to what uh, Paul, as he's writing, as, as he himself is being inspired by God, he says this, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Different translations may say inspira- inspiration or inspired by God. What is this word inspired, or what does it mean that it's God-breathed? Well, inspired means God-breathed, but what does that even mean? Well, I would argue, and I would say that... <laughs> Is a very vast majority of very much all conservative uh, theologians and pastors would agree in the dual authorship of Scripture. And what that means simply is this, is that as faithful men were writing down the words that we have in our Bible, God, the Spirit of God, was speaking exactly into their hearts exactly what to write down. So God was breathing, God breathed, inspiring these people to write down exactly what God wanted said. 
And we can believe these things and we can know these things through Scripture. But here's the reality is most people in our culture, they argue against the miraculous. They don't believe in the virgin birth, for instance. Like, it's impossible, right? Like, you can't have a virgin. How can a virgin give birth to a child? It's impossible, right? Yes, it is impossible, if you were wondering if the question is impossible. Yes, it is impossible with man. How's the resurrection happen? Is that possible? How can someone come back from the dead? Who has the power to be able to do that? How about the healing of Lazarus? How can someone actually take someone who's dead, who's been dead for three days, and take them up and raise them up to life again and give them breath in their lungs again and they can walk around? You can take those miraculous things out of Scripture. Maybe all that you end up with is the Sermon on the Mount, it's the teachings of Jesus. But you Listen, aside from the, like, ultimately, it takes faith in God and His Word. I will, I will say that wholeheartedly. But the faithfulness to Scriptures and how they, they uh, have the prophecies of Jesus and His birth. All, there's so many things that I could try to convince you with. But what I want to encourage you to do is to let God's Word speak. Because as Paul was writing this, he says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Not the parts we like, not some of the teachings of Jesus, and not other parts of the teachings of Jesus, or some of the, the strange stories in the Old Testament. No, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And the reason that we study this, and how can this God's Word make us grow is how Paul, it's a super easy outline because it's right here in our text. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? First, we see God's Word teaches us. God's Word teaches us. There are truths that are to be learned and obeyed. God's Word is given to us with truth to teach us, to, to help us understand and learn about Him. Scripture is, is not about a bunch of rules and regulations to follow. It is about God. It is how we learn His heart. It's how we learn what He is like. It's like how we learn about Him. He is revealing Himself to us, divinely revealing Himself to us. And God's Word, it teaches us. Again, I would argue this. Like, why would I teach my children math? I mean, it's important, right? You need to know a little bit of math, like two plus two is five, right? Yeah. Wait, no, four. You know, that was really dumb. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. That was, that was silly. But, you know, like, we can teach our kids math, and it's great. Like, it's going to be useful. We can teach them proper grammar and teach them how to read and write. All useful things for us. But why would I teach my kid all these things but not teach them God's Word? We're saying this is literally God speaking, God revealing Himself to us. Why would we not listen? Why would we not learn and sit under His feet? I love the story of Mary and Martha. Martha is serving a, a Jesus. She's getting the house ready and she's stressing just like so many women do when they're having a party over and they're getting everything together and worrying about this and that and trying to make sure everything's just in its right place. Martha's worrying about these things. And where's Mary? Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha's upset, and she's like, Jesus, can you tell Mary to come help me? Help me in the kitchen. Help me clean things up. And, and Jesus actually tells her that Mary's doing the right thing. 
that here's Jesus, here he is in her presence, and she's just basking in his presence. She's sitting at his feet because he's a wonderful teacher. You see, we need God's word, word to teach us. We need to learn God's word. Not only does God's word teach us, but God's word also, it reproves us. It reproves us. You see, our faults and failures are exposed by God's word. God's divine word exposes our shortcomings. It exposes our sin. Have you ever been reading scripture and the spirit of God starts to convict you? You're like, man, I was just struggling with anger and here God's telling me to be patient and kind. Or you've been struggling, like you just keep giving in, like you're like, I want to I diet or I want to do these things. And then you're reading the fruit of the Spirit and it says self-control. And you're like, man, I did not have much self-control yesterday with all that food for New Year's Eve, <laughs> you know? God's Word, it convicts us. It exposes the faults and the failures. We're convicted. God's Word, oftentimes, it convicts us of sin. I love reading... Um, uh, the Puritans. There's a lot of great theologians. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, Thomas Watson. I'm going to read a quote to you from Thomas Watson. But these, um, these faithful men of God, as they were uh, preaching and proclaiming God's word at this time during the, uh, in the Puritans, and, he, and Thomas Watson said this, and I want you to take this in and let it sink in for us as we read God's word. He says, take every word as spoken to yourselves. When the word thunders against sin, think this, God means my sins. When it presses any duty, God intends me in this. Many put off scripture for them, from themselves as if it only concerned those who lived in the time when it was written. But if you intend to profit by the word, bring it home to yourselves. A medicine will do no good unless it be applied. I think that's an important lesson for us. Yes, we are interpreting Scripture. We want to interpret Scripture in light of who it was originally written to. When you read Scripture, you want to read it in a way that's like, all right, how was it intended to its original audience? We, we will do a disservice if you just read it for yourself and like, okay, what's God saying to me? Well, how did he say it to them to properly understand it and how it's applying to you today? But oftentimes, here's what we do, right? Like we're sitting in a message and you're like, man, I wish such and such a person was here. Man, my wife is serving in kids again. I wish she was in here to hear this today. You know, or she, you know, or you start thinking about other people. Take the words of Thomas Watson. Take every word as spoken to yourself. When the word thunders against sin, think this. God means my sins. You see, God's word is a, it does a reproving work. It's a convicting work. It is challenging you. It's like hitting you and saying, wake up to your sinfulness. You see, God's Word, it corrects us as well. God's Word corrects us. What does this mean? Uh, for me, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm very directionally challenged. Like, I, where is north? I have no idea. I, where, <laughs> when I'm driving down the road, I almost always use GPS because I will be lost without it. <laughs> and then people make fun of me, like, you know, who are a little bit older, you're like, man, you couldn't have survived in the day without GPS. And you're like, 
well, I would have figured it out at some point, maybe, but maybe not. I don't know. I'm genuinely directionally challenged. I will get lost in a heartbeat. If someone ever is telling me how to get to their house, I make sure Amanda is standing right beside me. Like, make sure, and I'm like, you got that, right? <laughs> Good, because I didn't catch it. You said left or right? Nate sometimes will give me some directions. They hang a ride on such and such a road. And I'm like, what road are you talking about? I have no idea. He's like, 124. I'm like, what is 124? I don't know. You know, um, but I, I can get so lost. And so, but I'll tend to, because of my personality, though, it's like, all right, I can figure this out, though, right? I can, and quickly, I'm, I'm completely lost. And what do I do? I turn, I'm like, all right, Waze, help me out. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm like, I'm in the middle of nowhere, and I don't know where I'm headed. And so I'll put GPS on, and sure enough, she's like, you're going the wrong way every time. Turn around and go the other direction. You see, God's word can be like that for us because we can so easily stray. We can so easily be led astray and we get lost. And God's word is meant to correct, is to bring us back on course. You see, God's word, it's, it's literally like a compass. Like, I, I, mean, I would argue probably none of us know exactly where north is, but what we would do is we'd look at that compass and it would tell us where true north is. That would give us that. See, God's word is our true north. It is one guiding us towards where we need to be, and we need its correction in our lives. We need God's word to correct us. Not only does God's word correct us, it also, God's word trains us. Look what he says. Here he's saying all scripture is breathed out by God, profit for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. You see, God's word, it trains us. Um, think of the football teams and the games that are going on today, positioning in the NFL for who's going to make the playoffs here in these last two weeks. And as we watched last night, Georgia um, s- pulling out a, a win by the skin of their teeth or a really bad kicker at the time. And he's not a bad, he seemed like a really good kicker except for that moment. Um, so sorry, Robbie. Yeah. Um, but when we think of these men who are playing this incredibly complex, we were talking about this last night, the complexity, Lee and I were talking about this last night, the complexity of, of football and how, I mean, everything is like this a play is designed and every single play is designed and has a purpose. And if they are not prepared, listen, they train so hard. And I mean, all, all athletes, I would argue, probably train really hard. But in, the, in football, there, there's so much complexity to it and every defensive position, and making sure you're in the right place. And what do you see every once in a while? You see a guy who missed an assignment, they'll say. A guy ends up wide open, whether it's a guy falling down like last night, or a guy who, who didn't know he was supposed to be back on, way back on defense, and he played up. And then the other guy starts yelling at him, right? What happens? You see, that's why they train. They train for those kind of moments, so that it really is instinctive. See, I love the psalmist, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't, I would start this, I would start your year here. Like, listen, I want to encourage you to read scripture. I'm going to talk about some uh, reading plans and options you can have. But if nothing else, I would encourage you to start with Psalm 119 and read all of it. It's a lot of verses, almost 200 verses. But every single verse in Psalm 119 is about God's word. And I love how the psalmist says this. He says, if God's word had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction a long time ago. You see, he, was, he had trained himself in the Word of God so that he was prepared when affliction hit him. When temptation comes tomorrow for you or tonight or later today, or when trials ahead of 2023 come and are going to hit you like a ton of bricks or like a tidal wave this year, are you going to be prepared? 
I would argue if we're looking at the statistics, most people are not prepared. They've not been trained by God's Word. God's Word isn't their delight. We don't find the, 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 the laws of the Lord. I love what Psalm 19 verse 18 says. Psalmist here again in this one chapter, the, spirit, the longest chapter in the Bible, all about God's Word. If you don't know this, you won't see it in the Hebrew. Every, uh, every section of it, you'll have these sections and you'll see it if you, in your translations usually. But each of those, you don't see it in the English translation, but each of those sections is the, the Hebrew uh, alphabet. It starts with, and, and it works its way all the way from A to whatever the Hebrew alphabet is, you know, right? As, but it go, as it goes through, and the, the first words of those verses also begin in the Hebrew with those, those letters of the alphabet. Again, showing us even the whole of Scripture. From the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet all the way to the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, is, it leads us to God's Word and the importance of God's Word. And Psalm 119.18 says this, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. You see, we need God's illuminating work to open our eyes and to train us for godliness and righteousness. How is, let me ask you this question, how is God's Word guiding your life and your family's life? Like, for instance, how you raise your children. Are you raising them? In the nurture, as Ephesians tells us, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, we're going to, in a couple of weeks, dedicate uh, some of our young uh, children uh, to the Lord because we, as parents, want to see our children, and it's a more of a dedication of parents. This isn't a, a, like putting our faith on our children like infant baptism is observed by Roman Catholics and a few others do. No, this is not a transferring of faith, but it's a, it's a picture as a parent is saying, listen, I need God's help as we train our children, and we want to pass down the faith to our children, and so we're going to pray for them. We're going to uh, equip them. We're going to Put, them, uh, put God's Word first in their life. We want to train our children, but how are we going to do that? We should be doing it through the Word of God. How you raise your children, God's Word should be guiding our life, all of it. How we raise our children, how we love our spouse, how, in, uh, how and in what ways we pursue our careers. Every aspect of our lives must fall under the supremacy and sufficiency of Scripture. You see, New Year's Day 2023 can be a great fresh start for some of us. A start to spend more and more time in God's Word, studying it. Why? Because notice as, the, as this passage ends. You know, all Scripture is breathed out by God, so God's Word is, 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 is perfect for teaching, for reproving us, for correction, for training in righteousness, all of that growth that's happening through these means is for what purpose? That the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How can we be prepared for what lies ahead in this year? As we spend time under the teaching of God's Word. Like Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet, in worship and adoration, learning, letting, when he talks, she's peering in and listening and taking it all in. And what, is, what does God have to say, as Thomas Watson was saying, how does, what does God have to say to me? What sin in my life needs to be 
removed? What do I need to repent of? What area of my life needs to be trained? How can I prepare for the difficulty that lies ahead? How can I, how can I, what, what areas do I need to be reproving in? Where I need to be like challenged, like, hey, wake up, Eric. Stop living selfishly and being so uh, caught up into your own world. Wake up to these things. God's word does this to us as we spend time in it. Uh, my previous pastor, uh, John Monroe, he was uh, passionate and he still is passionate about God's word. And one thing that I remember him saying to me personally, and then I've heard him say it many times as he was preaching, he would say that the Word of God, as we read it, as you spend time in God's Word, it's, it's really, he didn't say it this way necessarily, but it's kind of like a magnet. It's, as you're close to God's Word, you're, you're drawn in more and more. I would argue as you spend, and he would say this as well, as you're not in God's Word, you're more likely to continue to not be in God's word. It's, it has some kind of like magnetic fate, like a magnetic effect where when you're in God's word and as you make this discipline a part of your life, it will cultivate a, a further desire for God's word. But as you step away from it, and you'll notice it, right? What happens, right? You get out of rhythm. You know, maybe the, the Christmas season has been chaotic for you and you're kind of out of those rhythms or, you know, the, the beginning of 2022 was, had great plans for time with the Lord and it just kind of, all of a sudden, it's like, what happened? It's what happens. As you're not in God's Word, oftentimes you continue to not be in God's Word. It's like you don't have the desire for it. But as you cultivate it, as you take in the words of life, See, Jesus, as he prayed for his disciples and for us, he said, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. The sanctifying power of Scripture in our lives. And I would encourage you this year, as we're rolling into a new year now, what would it look like if this year you developed the discipline of spending even just 15 minutes reading God's word? Can I tell you, if you spend, listen, if you spend 15 minutes in God's word consistently, you will read through the whole Bible. Just 15 minutes a day. You can read the whole Bible. And now, I know that might be a lofty goal, and here's what I don't want to happen. You to go, go overkill and last three weeks or five days. Start small. Start simple. If it's a paragraph a day, start with the paragraph. If it's a chapter, I would encourage you, like, try to, like, try to set a little bit standard and be like, all right, at least a chapter a day. But if you read about three and a half chapters Depending on the length of chapter, some days it'd be two, uh, two, two chapters a day, sometimes four, depending on the length. But if you do that, you will read through the whole Bible this year. I would encourage you, spend more time in God's Word and let God's Word speak to you. Let it teach you. Let it correct you. Let it reprove you. Let it lead you so that you will be equipped this year. Like I said, I mean, none of us knows what lies ahead tomorrow. The rest of this year, January, none of us know. We might have plans and thoughts and what this year is going to look like. We have no idea what's ahead. But I want to be like the psalmist and when it does come, be able to say, if it had not been, if I had not delighted in your law, I would have perished in my affliction long ago. May that not be true of us. May we, may we delight in his word. May we spend more time in it. And let, let me encourage you as families as well. Just a quick note on this as well. For families, listen, cultivate this in your homes. Let your kids see you reading Scripture. Read Scripture together. Maybe, for a, maybe like some plans, like uh, Robert Murray McShane, uh, his, his famous plan was two, he would read four chapters a day. 
get through the Bible um, in, with, two cha- with four chapters a day, basically. And he would read two in private, like personally for himself, and then also two were a part of family devotions. They would read, and he would start with like Matthew 1, or Matthew and Genesis, and then like Ezra. I mean, it's, it, you can look it up, Robert Murray McShane. It's another option if you're trying to read through Scripture. There's other plans that are, I think, more systematic. I like reading systematically as well, and just like to get the big picture of Scripture and reading it from Genesis all the way to Revelation. But listen, what, whatever it is, what works is only, what matters to me most for you is whatever it is that you choose to do with reading God's Word. My encouragement is just whatever that is, that it's consistent. Like, so if, again, consistent for now is a small section. Start with, you know, most of our Bibles have sections, and there's a section heading. So maybe, like in this 2 Timothy 3, if you have a Bible there, my ESV has this starting in verse 10 and going to the end of chapter 3. There's a section right there that could literally probably be read in 90 seconds. And then eventually, I'm going to talk about this next week, some more principles to get a lot out of your Bible reading. Uh, if you haven't as well, a couple things to you on this, and then we'll close. Uh, this, I know I pr- probably many of you have, maybe some of you have read it, probably many of you have still probably not read this yet. It's tiny, um, but this was hopefully given to you. I think you should have gotten it. If not, we probably have more copies of it, and if not, I can get more copies of it. Um, but if you're a guest, you get this uh, in our guest bag, and it's just titled, How Can I Get More Out of My Bible Reading? Excellent, literally take you less than an hour to read. Um, and, but in it is an excellent tool and principles for that. I'm going to talk more about that next week and how we can get more out of our Bible reading uh, in our time in God's Word. And another another um, resource that I've just recently come across for those that are your parents, um, it says dads, obviously it can be for moms as well, but I would encourage you, if the dad is actively involved, I would encourage him to lead in this. But um, it's another book by John Nielsen called Bible Reading with Your Kids, A Simple Guide for Every uh, Father. It's a simple little book, as you can see, it's tiny and skinny, um, but really practical in helping, uh, cultivating that in the home of passing down to the next generation. My heart's desire is that we would be a people of the word. I appreciate the, the quote, and I'm losing who it was from. I think it was John Wesley. Let me be a man of, if I'm going to be a man of any book, let me be of one book. God's word. If nothing else, we pass down to our kids. If nothing else, it should be at least. This is the most important. The priority should be God's word in our lives and in our homes' lives, in our home lives as well. So my, may, that's my prayer for this year in 2023, is that we would be a people who love and crave God's word and spend time letting it teach us, train us, develop us, mold and shape us, because it's God's word. All right, let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. Thank you for these families who are here today on this New Year's Day. We have maybe many who are staying up super late last night, who are difficulty maybe even waking up, or the kids struggling this morning. I thank you for those who are here. We pray for those who are away from us, uh, some traveling, others I know have COVID right now as well. Uh, some, my own boys who are uh, in a faraway land. Uh, God, I pray that you'll protect them as well and be with them as they're away. Um, and we just pray, Father, though, specifically, that your word, that we, that would be, a, I got a, a revival of a people who love your word. You know my heart, God. You know how my strong desire to see this in my own life, in my home, and in this church, God, that we would love it, that we would crave it. 
It would see the importance of it and value it in our homes and that it would lead, we would lead it out into the next generation. Thank you for all the children, God, that are downstairs and um, the ministry of, of the word with our children. I thank you for those who are serving and who are helping and working with our, our young ones. I pray that you'll help them to cultivate as those leaders teach and train these children in God's word, that it would cultivate a love for your word, that we would be a support system for families and a partner. Father, I thank you for the, the word that you have revealed, not just the written word, but the word became flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you that your word leads us to salvation. I pray if there's anyone in this room, God, who does not, has not placed their faith in you yet, that your word would open their eyes and that your spirit would awaken their hearts and remove the, blind, the blindness that the sin, our sin nature, and the, and the devil has caused to us, has blind us, the God of this age, blinding us. I thank you that your power and your grace is always greater than our sin. And so, Father, may um, those who maybe don't know you put their faith in you. God, go before us in this year. We don't know what lies ahead as a church, as individuals, as families. I pray that we would be a people of one book, your word. Help us, God, and we ask this in your son's name. Amen.